Amen, huh? That was a nice taper. Oh, what was that? A heresy meter going off already. I haven't even been up here 15 seconds. You guys have a good Christmas? Really? That wasn't very convincing. Did you guys have a good Christmas? There you go. Like the birth of our Lord, not enough. Kind of hoping for some jeans or something. What's going on? Hey, so uh, make your way to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 today. Spend some time in the Word. Spend some time in some communion at the close today. If you need a Bible to start off your year, we have some up here for you. Just raise your hand. We drop one in your hand. Everybody got their Bible? Rat your neighbor out if they don't. Ed, you got your Bible? Okay. He holds up his phone. 2023, brand new year, same old stuff, huh? We're going to go through the whole chapter today. Um, you know, there is something about, about this turn of events, right, that we just went through. Uh, fresh new vision for 2023. I can't believe it's 2023. Anybody still eating off their provisional beans from 1999? <laughs> Remember that? You guys were around for that. Everyone's losing their minds. The clocks aren't going to set right. What are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know. People were storehousing water and all kinds of stuff. But 2022 was really, for me anyway, was, it was, was pretty good. You know, we got to do a, a ton of stuff together with, with me and Kim and, and go some places and, you know, went to do some youth conferences and traveled around, had some great time, got all kinds of new memories as the church kind of did its thing throughout the year. You know, we had one of the busiest Decembers I think we've ever had as far as church events. I think there was 12 or 13. We did our first parade in Dunawig, which was super cool. I bought a parade car, so that was super cool. You know, they really in June kind of hit a high note. I had my, our, our first grandson, little Silas, you know, so I got to go spend Christmas with him up in Columbia with my daughter. It was pretty good. It's kind of hard to label the year, uh, you know, a downer or a bust with all these good things. You know, so many of you have that kind of that same sentiment, but still I look forward to, like you guys do, this new year starting over. A fresh start. New plans are being made, you know, both in our personal lives and what the church has going on, new opportunities, all kinds of things. Fresh vision, as we say in the church, with where we're going in ministry and what we hope to accomplish this year. You know, I know and you know that the year will certainly hold both ups and downs, right? It's not going to be a big surprise, but I'm excited, again, for those appointments that are going to be set. You know, it, it is that nice time of year, just wondering, man, I want, to, I want to see what God is going to do. He's been faithful all the way to this point, so we have no doubt he'll be faithful into 2023. And it really is one of our greatest qualities as Christians. Hope, right? Hope that God will move in our lives and do things in our, in our circles. Hope that he will set things right. In, in, in our town, in, you know, in, in our state, in our country, in our world, hope that God will just, you fill in the blank. That's what we live in. Without hope, without that godly hope, not just I hope these fries are good, you know, but an assurance of hope that God can and God is on the move, that the future that we're looking at 
as of today, is not going to offer anything but happiness and joy, not, not dread and not worry. Without that kind of hope, it's a terrifying ordeal. Listen, I don't know how it's going to go. Nobody does. But I know that God is good. And Paul writes about this kind of hope in 1 Thessalonians. You guys don't have to turn there, but he writes, I don't want you, the church, to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive... And remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. Thus, we shall always be with the Lord. He says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. I mean, that's the end game. Whether we proceed this day in in our own mortality or whether we're here for it, which would be super today. Nope, didn't happen. So you got to suffer through me for another 30 minutes or so. Listen, don't get caught up in this world. I mean, it's so hard not to do those things, to get distracted, to get our eyes on something else. Paul says to comfort each other with that hope of heaven, that one day God will set everything right. The eternity that we have is his people in Christ. That's a hopeful statement. That's a great statement. And the ups and downs, you guys know this, they're just, they're just temporary. Christ is eternal. Heaven is eternal. This world is passing away. You know, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of this world will go strangely dim. Someone should write that down. That's a pretty good lyric. <laughs> that's biblical wisdom, right? That, that's wisdom at its finest. And, and as we move into our, our text today, we find Solomon, I mean, the wisest man who has ever lived. You guys are familiar with Solomon's story. That's what he wanted was just grant me the wisdom to lead this nation. And man, God did not disappoint. His wisdom was granted beyond measure. And because of that, you know, his provision and his wealth beyond counting. But if you've been with us on our midweek, as we've kind of followed Solomon from from the Proverbs and on into the Kings and all these things, those things became a focus for him. And we find Solomon kind of at the end of his life now in this book of Ecclesiastes where he's begun to focus on the wrong things. He's lost touch with the God that placed him there. Hope has completely dropped from his mind and his heart. And he's become this lost man who's really just looking for anything to fill this void as he calls it under the sun while walking on this earth. Chapter 3 kind of closes with this glimpse of a man who may have found some hope again as he writes that God's will judge every righteous work for there's a time for there's a time for every purpose under that work. And so we know 
that everything God has ordained, everything's moving. And Solomon kind of gets that, that God has a reason for the ups and downs, right? We know that. To praise him when it's good. Those are awesome times. But to remain in that hope when things aren't so good. But sadly, by chapter 4, Solomon once again is looking unto this world and what it has to offer. And he's trying to make sense of things without God. And he finds himself in this familiar spot. And we start there in verse 1. And then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore, I praise the dead who were already dead, more than the living who were still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Man, Solomon is a giant downer. (laughs) I'd like to hang around this guy for an afternoon, just wah, wah. Listen, it doesn't take a long look around to realize that things are not going to be fair while our time on earth is moving forward. People are sinful, right? And we do sinful things. And Solomon has just taken note of the obvious point that there are times when the good guys don't always win. They're innocent men. Women and children who die every day at the hands of deviant and evil people. Listen, it's not fair, and it's even harder to understand sometimes. Solomon goes too far to think that the dead, have, they're far better living, far better life than, you know, they've already passed, they got out of this thing. And then he goes even one step further to say, look, it would just be better to just never exist because the world is so fallen. We face that similar fight today. Solomon might as well be screaming that I have no hope. I don't have anything to look forward to. And we hear this kind of thought over and over in 2022, and I'm sure we'll hear it in 2023. If God is so good, right, then why? Why are we suffering? Why the murders? Why why rape? Why hunger? Why fear across the world? Why doesn't the goodness of God, if you think he's so good, then why doesn't the goodness of God just step in and fix it? It's a familiar argument, right? Listen, there will come a day when he will fix it. Revelation chapter 21 says that God will wipe away how many of our tears? All, every. There shall be no more death. And no more sorrow, no, no more crying, no more, no more pain, for those former things have passed away. Well, then, <laughs> why? Well, can I just tell you the reality of it is it's your fault. <laughs> it's our fault. Isaiah writes, it's not that the Lord's hand is shortened, Right? He can't reach us and do things. It's not that he can't save. It's not that he doesn't hear. It's your iniquities that have separated God. It's our sin that has created the problem. See, you and I have breached the contract, right? We're sinful men born into this thing, and 
has entered into the world, and it's grown stronger and stronger. And the Bible talks about it's our minds, right, that are the problem. We begin to think on things that are contrary to God. We begin to dwell on things that are not the nature of God at all. And our hearts begin to believe those things, right? We act on those things. And unfortunately, that sin becomes reality. James kind of maps that progression for us in chapter 1. He says, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. It's the way that we are. Yes, God can stop a murder. Can I tell you that? 100%. God can stop a murder. But listen, as a good God then, wouldn't he be accountable to stop all suffering? Right? Not just the violent endgame of a sinful heart, You know, we're asking God to fix the big things, but as a good God, that argument has to go all the way back. If God is good, then you never have a bike wreck as a child. You know, you've lost control of your bike, and then God just straightens you back up. You go to place your hand on that hot stove, and it's cool to the touch. You don't suffer any pain because God is good. That's what that argument wants you to believe. If that were the case, if you never suffered, if you never feared... If God just changed you to fit the situation, ultimately we become robots, right? With no choice. We have no idea what it means to lose. We have no idea what it means to want or to be scared or to seek that refuge. We have no idea what suffering is. We have no idea what pain is. And ultimately, we don't have any idea what it means to hope. You don't need hope. If you never have anything go wrong. And listen, Solomon has taken his eyes off of God that will one day make things right. Just last week, right? That's what happened. Messiah has come. We just celebrated that. What an amazing day that Christ was born. You know, God with us, that the plan of salvation through Jesus, his life, and ultimately His death and his resurrection is in motion just seven days ago. If you want to get, you know, kind of technical, let's let's pick the dates. The sin that has doomed us, the sinful life that has sentenced us to a life separated, a life in hell has been taken away by the birth of Christ. It's going to be a while, but the plan is in motion. Through the blood of Christ, we're going to have that victory That's why we're here. But make no mistake, the world in Jesus' day with that little baby in the manger that's seven days old, the world is still fallen. The world is still sinful. But Jesus says this, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. (laughs) Why? Because I've overcome the world. It's through Jesus that we have the hope to navigate in this fallen world. That would be a good place for an amen. It's through hope in Jesus that man can have 
the strength it takes to navigate this world. Almost. <laughs> Listen, we continue with Solomon in his happy thoughts. Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work that a man is envied by his neighbor, this is also vanity and grasping for the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. And then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There was one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This is vanity and a grave misfortune. This man has had huge amounts of what we would call success. Wisdom, provision, money, everything. And he understands in this position that there are those that no matter how much greatness you accomplish, no matter how much good that you do, in the end of it all, someone somewhere will have an issue with it. Someone doesn't like what you're doing. Listen, it's, it's our human nature to envy. Someone has always done something or someone always has something that we would like to have for ourselves right? We could work for it, put in the effort, and with time and patience, you know, maybe with a few breaks here and there and God kind of moving and setting the table and, and things happening, we may find success. But for the most part, like me and you have discovered, it's easier for us to just set, do nothing <laughs> and make excuses, Right? How many gym memberships went out last week and they're going to sit? That's why my school of thought is don't even mess with it. If you're going to get in shape, just choose the right shape. I'm more of an oval kind of a guy. Just check, just turn into this. It's great. There's a lot of chubby chasers out there. My wife's one of them. So girls, you know, got to look around. We envy things. We see money. We see the end of it all. We see the expensive things. We say stupid stuff. Like we find cars all over the place and we say dumb things if you're a car guy. Like, I wouldn't drive that if you gave it to me. Like, you liar. I would totally drive that. I just can't afford it. <laughs> I would be in it 100%. Listen. Success is fleeting. That's what Solomon is trying to say. We've coined it, or I've coined it, you may have coined it after this. It's the Billy Ray Cyrus syndrome, right? You guys remember Billy Ray and the achy, breaky, hair, mistakey? <laughs> but listen, he just did what we all want to do as artists, what we all want to do as human beings is succeed, right? He made some stupid song, and radio stations began to play it. And if you guys were around during that, that season, it was horrible. It was on everything. Horrible. It's a horrible song. But he became immensely popular, and then people just began to shred the poor guy. You know, you can name all these people. I mean, what happens when you win seven rings, right? Patrick knows. You become labeled a cheater, right, Patrick? That's right. You're on my back. 
The lesson is simple. Success brings eyes upon you. Success brings critique upon you. But he's also trying to say, just just worry about yourself. Don't worry about what you have. Don't worry about what the others around you have. Be grateful for what you have. You know, we just celebrated this whole season of us not being grateful for what we had, right? People try to get us things that, you know, that would reflect the birth of Christ. Here you go. Here's the skill saw blade. You know, what? Okay. That's just the way we are. Search for contentment. Search for that heart of gratitude. Solomon is well aware of the fact there would always be someone out there, no matter how much you think you don't have, who would love to have what you have. Those who begin to chase this kind of thing, always wanting the more, never enough. Listen, it's just loneliness. It isolates us. We have to have it all at the expense of everyone around us. Listen, and I know nobody like that, myself included. You know, hopefully you guys don't know anybody else like that, but I know that they exist. There's never an end to the chase, and they'll forego relationships and all the things that are important and forego this Christ-centered viewpoint, trying to have it all. And listen, he says the result is very, very, it's a grave misfortune. You know, in other words, you've compiled all this stuff, but in the end of it all, you have nothing. And listen, I'm a big fan of things. I mean, we all like things. Who doesn't? But wanting things and chasing success is not necessarily the goal of my life. It's nice to pursue every now and then, right? To accomplish something, to finish something. But listen, I'm not pushing everybody around me out of the way to get to a certain point. Solomon, as we continue here, must have kind of rationalized this same thought in his head because his next observation really just kind of shows us how important we are to each other, right? We aren't designed to go this alone. He says that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone. When he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I mean, we tend to use this passage a lot in weddings, and it's fitting for weddings. I understand that. But in this case, Solomon isn't talking about a marriage union, he's talking about our relationships relationships with friends and with with family those that we can trust those that we can lean on those who have our back if you will the benefits he lists for us there's productivity in your life you know they have a good reward if someone comes alongside and helps you do things we have help in need you know if we fall someone can help us up and we can stabilize each other you know they will keep each other warm in other words they'll bring comfort to her life right just hanging out with people, and that two can withstand, that with those friendships and relationships, we have safety in this world and security in this life. And listen, there are times when you will need one of these things to happen. You will need to be productive. You will need some help, need some comfort. You're going to need some safety. 
And Solomon's like, woe to you who don't have anybody. We're not designed to go alone. Now, place in your mind, what if this happens to me? Who do I call to get this done? Who can I lean on? Listen, if that's more than one person, praise God for that. You need that kind of circle. We need to have our top five. You know, where if I need, I need, I need. These are the people that I can call. Those who will jump in. Those who care, could care less about time of day or situation. If the need has to be met, they're in. Even beyond, though, those trusted friends, Solomon brings that stronger bond, that threefold cord. Those around you who love the Lord, who try to pull on the same goals that you're trying to pull toward, you know, those godly friends. Not that we don't have friends who don't know the Lord. I'm not saying anything like that. We have family members, friends all over the place that don't know the Lord. That's why you're here to get them to hear. But those friends around us that speak the same language, right? Those friends who will offer up not what Dr. Phil says or not a big cup of Oprah Mocha, but, but, but what does the Bible have to say? I feel that the Lord may be saying this. Those are the friends we want. Those friends who will speak a godly truth, even if it wounds you a bit. Those are the friends you want. Those who understand when you're doing well and they rejoice with you, but they also understand, man, when you need a little shove, when you need just a little bit more, when today is not the day, you know, when today sometimes funny just isn't worth it. It is time to just to sit and talk and reason through the scriptures. Those are the friends we want. Those are the real deal. And we use this example a lot. I know I do. We find in 1 Samuel that, that story of Jonathan and his armor bearer, right? And they're kind of out by themselves. And they look down. There's this camp of the Philistines there. And Jonathan says to the young man, he said, Hey, let's go over to this garrison of these uncircumcised men. That it may be the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord, he said, from, from by, by many or by few. In other words, hey, what do you think? You want to go down and just, you know, take care of this garrison, just me and you. And his armor bearer said, hey, do what's in your heart. Go, let's go. <laughs> and those are the kind of people that we have to surround ourselves with. I mean, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. You know, if we're going to sink it, let's just sink it. And they went down, and we know the story. They went down, and they, the litmus test was there, and God delivered up this garrison in the hand of these two men. But listen, what if it went the other way? Same exact verse. Hey, you want to go over? What do you want to see? And the armor bearer's like, yes, let's go. And they're like, yeah, pow, dead, right there. <laughs> it doesn't change the story at all, right? It doesn't change the lesson. That they were both willing to go together. That's the point, not the outcome of the day. We can't rest in, in, the, in the results. If we feel that God has called us to go, you need to find some people who will go with you. And if he kills you right there, I mean, you think about the hundreds and thousands of Israelites who died in battle, those unnamed, as God was kind of working and claiming that land. I mean, they did what they were supposed to be doing. 
Those in our lives who can agree with us and then actually move with us, man, those are blessings. That's the circle we need to build. And Solomon kind of rounds out this chapter there in verse 13 with better a poor and wise youth. You guys don't agree with that, do you? You're like, no, give me the money. Hey, Kylie, I'm up here. Pay attention. She's just mad because I try to get 20 bucks out of her. I'll get that 20. You owe me 20. Better a poor and wise. I just mentioned the fingernails, did I not? When I'm not as engaging as your fingers right now. So she hates me. So better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. And I saw all the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. And there was no end of all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who came afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and grasping for the wind. (laughs) This is a reality that is all too familiar with me at this point in my life. We're getting older. (laughs) And soon, hopefully not too soon, but soon... We are going to pass from this life. Encouraging, huh? They're like, this is the worst New Year's study ever. I'm like, well, I didn't come here. You did. So <laughs> you're going to pass. And you're going to leave your stuff for someone else to go through. You're going to leave all the things that you've accomplished Behind And Solomon has really just come to the conclusion that even the greatest of lives, even the most popular life, does not guarantee that we will be remembered much beyond our passing. You know, it's interesting, all last week they were doing the, the what they call the memory, the, in the memory of those who passed celebrities. And you're like, oh, I forgot about that person already. Those who passed in January of last year, we forgot by the end of the year they'd already left. You know, it's, it's pretty incredible. Man, Solomon needs some Jesus in his life, right? He needs some stability. Matthew says this, that stop laying up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures, and you guys know where, in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in, for there your treasure is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus would have been the perfect answer for Solomon at this point in his life, right? He has lost hope. Jesus brings us to the conclusion that you need to place your treasure in a more secure spot. Spoiler alert, it's not here. We have things, we have treasures we have stored house. We can try to carry a lasting mark. I mean, we all want to do that. We want to leave a legacy. We want to have people, you know, talk about us for years and years. And, you know, really the only time you get a statue in this world is if you're insane or really good. You know, the middle ground, you get nothing out of the deal. Solomon has tried, he's amassed, 
He has this wealth. He has this he has providence. He has all of the things. He's a man among men, and he is worried that when he leaves, it's all going to go to someone else. It's all going to disappear, and he's absolutely correct. And the lesson that Jesus wants us to understand is you can't store in both places. Yes, we store here on earth. I get it. We have treasures that we, we put away, but we need to be also storehousing for the eternal putting those things away of goodness and the gospel message and witness and studying the word and devotion to God and truth and integrity and all those things, those are the things that last. Those are the things that God will carry over into our account. Life on earth has to be tempered, has to be tempered with life in the eternal. This is not home for us. And I think we forget that sometimes. We, we place our eyes on this fallen world. And we begin to worry about what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to recover? What's going to happen? Listen, those are all things that we can't erase from our mind, but we can sure find comfort in the hope that is in Christ Jesus. My prayer for myself this year and my prayer for you guys is that we just reestablish that hope, that we reaffirm in our own life that God knows exactly what he's doing. There's no mistakes, you know. That's the most terrifying statement, and I've said this a bunch. Fortunately, there's no verses where God says, oops, right? That's a very terrifying moment where God goes, ooh, I didn't really think about that. The psalmist writes, Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. To who? All you who hope in the Lord. He writes again, he does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear in him, in those who hope in his mercy. It's not about what we accomplish, how much we can amass, the strength of our, of our bodies or the strength of our, of our influence. Listen, it's about his mercy. That's where our hope lies. We'll close here real quick, but make your way over to 2 Corinthians. Who's closing? You can come on up. Oh, you raised your hand and pointed. Oh, no, both of you. 2 Corinthians there in chapter 4. Make your way down to verse, oh, scared me. Thought that was it. Starting then about verse 16, Paul kind of defines this hope for us as we move into this year. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. 
If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are his in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but rather further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has also given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident. I love that term. We are always confident, knowing that while we are here at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Listen, that is hope. <laughs> I mean, that is hope personified and defined that listen we don't have a say in this thing and that while we're here we're just absent from christ but his spirit dwells in us and brings us that comfort and that's hope for today right that's hope for tomorrow that's hope that no matter what happens 20 years from now 2000 years from now it doesn't matter that we will be guaranteed a place at the table, that we are guaranteed a place in eternity with Christ. Now, if that doesn't move us into a spot of, ah, there's something nice about the exhale, right? That when Jesus said, it's finished, that's exactly what he meant. That just, whew, it's finished. Why don't we close our eyes? We're going to take communion here in a little bit, but just for a minute, just think about that, that kind of hope that is lacking, you know, in, in my life and, and I know in your lives at times as we get focused on the wrong things. I mean, you think about that birth of Christ and that moment with that little baby and all the pictures in our head of what's happened a couple, you know, seven days ago. The, the, by now, the shepherds have probably went home. You know, wise men have, you know, went home. <laughs> Joseph and Mary are probably making their way back to home. The, the, the animals that were all gathered around are, are back to where they're supposed to be. And it's just kind of life as we know it. Nothing's different. The world hasn't turned to good all of a sudden. The angels aren't shouting from the skies anymore it would be 33 years until that little baby fulfilled his purpose on this life to redeem us from our sins and i wonder like in that moment do do we have the hope <laughs> did they have the hope did the shepherds have the hope as they waited and waited and waited for that redemption and it's finally there but it's not quite there and we're kind of in that spot of we're, we're there, but we're just not quite there. And so today, if, if that hope just doesn't seem to be there, we went to a conference in Dallas, and I, I love that. Hope now has a name. Seven days ago, we found out his name, right? Solomon didn't know his name. Solomon had hope in God, but didn't know his name. Hope has a name. <laughs> you know, Jesus is his name. 
And if you need that hope, it's going to give you a brief opportunity before we move into communion and, and, and close out today's service that if you need that kind of hope, if you need that salvation, if you, if you need Jesus to come in and do that work of, of cleansing and give you that hope of eternity, man, I would love to. There's some people around here who would love to pray with you. And so for just a minute, if that's you, you don't have to keep it up there for a long time, but if you would just raise your hand, we can acknowledge that. You can put it right back down. It doesn't have to be a lengthy thing. But if you know that you need Christ to come in and do a work in your life, now's your opportunity. So that leaves the rest of us. <laughs> as we move into communion today, just to reestablish what we are looking into, reestablish what we're looking upon, reestablish that hope that things may be up, things may be down, but God is on the throne and is, and is waiting, waiting and waiting to set things right. And we don't know the time we've been given. We just know the time that we're here. And so if that's you and you need that, that extra encouragement today, I just, I just wanted to give you that via the word that don't lose heart in that, that hope is alive and well and is seated on the throne. Amen. So guys, in this posture of prayer a little bit, I want to bring the ushers forward today and, and pass out the communion for the year. And if, if, you know, when you get it, just hold on to it. We'll all take together. We'll be thinking about that. What does that mean? You know, as the Lord kind of established his last supper with those guys, and they were all kind of sitting around the table. And you guys, this is a familiar story, I know. It says, when the hour had come, he, he kind of gathered into himself, and he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given. Listen, he says, do this. This is what we want to dwell on for just a few moments. Do this in remembrance of me, in, in, in the hope that, that has a name, in, in the salvation that we've been given. Do this in remembrance of, of me, not, not of what's going to come. Why? He's getting ready to go to the cross. Things are getting ready to turn chaotic. The whole town is going to turn upside down. But Jesus knows if we would just remember him, that we stay focused on the right things. And so as we finish passing this communion out, when you get your, your cup and your bread, just, just hold it. But I want to give you guys just a minute to just sit in that remembrance. Is made of fire, then torn.
Thank you.